I decided to really try and expand what I'm doing, which is why I built the team and wrote the book and, you know, I've gone further and further with what I'm trying to do. And I still continue to try and find, you know, the next big aha moment comes for this industry and trying to always, you know, work with, you know, the clients on what they're working on and seeing how that could help me find the next step for what I want to work on. And we try and stay ahead of the curve that way. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. That's right. I'm Yona Weiss, your host on this little podcast. And we got a great guest for you today. I'm excited to bring to the show Glenn Esterson. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing fantastic, Yona. It's always good to talk with you. Amazing. Great to have you here. If you guys don't know who Glenn is, he is probably the most recognized face in the mobile home community, mobile home park brokerage in the United States. I mean, come on, you guys are doing incredible things out there based in North Carolina, but but working nationwide. He's the author of the Mobile Home Park Manifesto, which you can pick up on Amazon, and we will put the link to that in the show notes. Glenn, how did you get your start and how did you become the mobile home park, mobile home community guru? <laughs> That's a tall order. I mean, there's some plenty <laughs> of other brilliant guys out there, maybe even doing better than I'm doing, you know. For sure. But, you know, we try real, real hard. And, you know, it's a very interesting business to be involved in if you don't mind being aggravated every day. And, you know, there's a lot of money to be made and a lot of people to help and a lot of, you know, good things to support that go on with our industry. I mean, I, I got into it by sheer reluctance 20 something years ago. I had no interest in trailer parks. I did like brokering. I had made a few bucks brokering, you know, some apartment deals in Miami when I was younger. You know, I, I was dealing with low income housing and Section 8 and all that stuff. So, I mean, it wasn't far fetched for me to eventually end up in mobile homes. And But, you know, when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe 30, I decided to not broker anymore and just go back to being a farmer, which I had. And a lot of my teens doing. I'd been living on farms since I was 15 or 16 years old. Oh, wow. And, you know, I moved back to the city when my son was born and tried to get, you know, try to make some money. And I, and I had a couple of nice hits on some, you know, class B apartment buildings and stuff like that. And, you know, I bought a farm with that money and stopped brokering. And one of the things I wanted on my farm was a stable income, you know, to help there ain't much money in farming. It's a labor of love, you know, and, and we were farming mushrooms. And I, I could tell you it was like, you know, no money to be made, but it was a lot of fun, you know, and a lot of work. Sure. But, you know, I knew I needed a stable income. So I took the last little bit of money that I had left over and, you know, reluctantly bought a trailer park at the time that was about 30 miles from my farm because there was nothing else within 30 miles of my farm of any kind of asset class. And so, you know, I picked it up. It was like, you know, supposed to be this easy thing and I figured it wouldn't be hard and you know after a year owning it I realized oh (laughs) this this thing's a little bit more challenging than I anticipated and more you know became a landlord more than a farmer which was like totally not what I was trying to do right right so you know from there you know from there things you know progress and you know eventually I got my hands around the trailer park and farming and 
2013 or so around there, I decided, well, I want to go back to brokering because this recession almost wiped me out. And my trailer park was still intact and, you know, by the hairs of my chin at the time, I mean, just barely. And I managed to get through the recession. And I said, you know, I think there's some real money in this stuff. And went back to, to brokering. It took a couple of years getting my feet under me. But by, you know, 2015 or so, I was, you know, I was hitting it hard and, you know, somehow by the grace of God and luck, I've you know, managed to land on my feet and run a really successful team. And it's been a privilege and it's been fun and it's been aggravating and it's been, you know, all those things, you know, it's definitely woke me up to just, you know, how important <laughs> it, this asset class is for our nation and how important it is to me specifically because, you know, it's, I dedicate all my time to this and, you know, I like to make a nice income. I like that my kids are now well taken care of. It all feeds together. So, hey, this is where I've doubled down on at this point. <laughs> I don't see Absolutely. why, you know, continue like educating myself on it. It's always something new to learn. I mean, I've been broken these deals for so long now, spread hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals that, that we've sold at this point. And it's, you know, it's still something new. Every, every time we're doing a deal that we learn something new about a new system or about a new compliance issue with the municipality or new this or a new that, mm. and, you know, after a few years of collecting all that information, you know, I decided to really try and expand what I'm doing, which is why I built the team and wrote the book and, you know, I've gone further and further with what I'm trying to do. And I still continue to try and find, you know, the next big aha moment comes for this industry and trying to always, you know, work with, you know, the clients on what they're working on and seeing how that can help me find the next step for what I want to work on. And we try and stay ahead of the curve that way. And, you know, I, I train my guys and they're all great guys and girls on my team that, you know, didn't have any experience with brokering or with mobile home parks. And, you know, we launched January of 2020 and, and here we are in August of 2022 and, you know, two and a half years old in the industry. And somehow we, you know, sold 77 parks last year. <laughs> you know, was, That's amazing. Not that's incredible. So you've seen a lot of transformations happening in this space also, I'm sure, over the past few yeah, years. It's maturing a lot. You know, I mean, it was definitely Wild West when I bought my park. I mean, like, you know, you'd be lucky to get, you know, a, a rent roll written on the back of a napkin with a pencil. You'd be lucky to get that back then, you know. And now, you know, the software systems have, you know, matured and are more sophisticated. And everybody's got a computer now. and Everybody's got Internet access now. Yeah. And so... Now, all of a sudden, we're seeing a lot more sophistication come into a deal and, you know, we're getting, you know, much better books and records and P&Ls and, you know, utility reports and all that stuff than we ever had back when, you know, when I bought my park, sure. when I, even when I first started brokering parks exclusively. Well, yeah, I'm sure that makes it a lot yeah. easier for you as the broker, as well as for the buyers. Yeah, it's still far from great. Like you go and buy an apartment building or an office building, you're going to have, you know, a stack of good documents here. It's like, you're not going to have a stack. Maybe you have a couple of papers, but at least they're printed from a software, you know, that you can, you know, actually track back, you know, so <laughs> it's definitely getting better. And, you know, there's a company I'm involved in called Rent Butter, which is a software that is a tenant screening software that's meant and built for the affordable housing industry. A guy named Tom Raleigh, he's just such a great guy. He came up with this, this system and it's another big step into implementing more affordable housing and getting people with lower credit scores below six, you know, 650 approved, right. you know, and moved into a park. So it helps the owner, it helps the tenant, you know, makes the, the refinance process a little better for the owner because he has a better quality tenant who's been paying his rent, his collections are good. All these things tie in together. And 
you know, it's uh, all these neat little projects that because I've been a broker in the center for so long, I get people, you know, talking with me about interesting ideas they're doing. And a lot of times so interesting. I want to support them. And we start, you know, taking next steps with each other. That's awesome. You know, so it's, I've done what I can to really just, you know, glue myself to this industry for better or worse. And, you know. Yeah. And it helps, you know, it helps when you have a niche and you focused on one specific thing, it opens up so many more opportunities within that space, as opposed to, you know, just dabbling in, you know, a a vast, you know, array of different industries. I see the same thing for what I'm doing, you know, being fully focused in this. I get so many calls about all kinds of interesting products and opportunities that could help the industry and help the business. So that's pretty amazing. Are you seeing still, I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, there's, I think mobile home parks is probably one of the asset classes that is most behind in the commercial real estate industry in terms of, like you said, the paperwork and and all that, the tracking and data. Do you find that still the majority of owners of those mobile home parks across the, I mean, at least the areas that you focus on are still those, you know, mom and pop owners or has, has it taken a shift to getting more into the, you know, it depends on, on how you describe the mom and pop, you know, like I would describe me when I was an investor as a mom and pop, right. very unsophisticated, kind of just, you know, know what I'm doing and only how I'm doing it, not how other people might be doing it. And, you know, I didn't have much education on the industry, didn't have any supporting best practices and things like that, you know. Right. Meaning you're just running your park and, you know, just, just running my park, kind of minute, whatever way I could, you know. So, but now there's a whole new mom and pop coming in that's really like a younger, more sophisticated and professional investor type, you know, that is coming into it, mm-hmm. you know, a, a different lens. And I think that's probably the more significant buyer pool right now from the newer entry, smaller park stuff. But of course, now, the 200 space right. mom and pop, one park, beautiful park, you know, in Pennsylvania or Wisconsin or wherever they might be, you know, those guys are actually pretty sophisticated too now, you know, so it's, it seems to have cycled up, but, you know, obviously started like, you know, probably 20 some years ago because we just sold a park, not just, but, you know, a few months back in Pennsylvania, that was a trophy asset. And that guy would qualify as a mom and pop, but he was very smart, smart, sophisticated mom and pop who also had other real estate assets that he was, you know, focused on. He just happened to have one beautiful park, you know. Gotcha. So he was running it. He was running it like a proper business. He was running it very well and, you know, way more sophisticated than, you know, we would give most mom and pops for. So, I mean, I, mm-hmm. what is he? Is he a mom and pop or is he a professional investor? Right. You know, so like we're, but we are seeing the mom and pops really kind of die off in the industry, the traditional mom and pop, you know, because the, right. you know, the institutional guys that want those 200 space parks, they're, they're paying the piper and getting them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, it's giving an exit to those guys who've been in these parks 20, 30, 40 years. And, but a lot of those kind of guys aren't buying a new park, you know, they're, it's an exit, you know, so. Just finishing or they're retiring or they. But with our industry, you know, there's only 40,000 plus or minus parks, 45,000 plus or minus parks in the whole country. Wow. You know. It's not a lot. And so, you know, it sounds like a lot until you go and count up the apartment buildings in any one major city. And it's probably more apartment buildings than, than the entire amount of mobile home parks in the whole country. Right. So 45,000 parks and about half of them are, you know, kind of junkier, smaller, under 20 unit type parks that, you know, no investor is really ever going to buy. So you really only left with maybe 15 to 20,000 parks that are really potentially up for sale one day to an investor. Right. And so you have call it, you know, 20,000 parks across the country may be available for sale over some long period of time. 
And, you know, we mainly have been doing five to 10, maybe 15% sales velocity in the industry. So if there's 20 and you're doing 10%, it's only 2,000, you know, parks for sale a year. And we have 20, 30,000 buyers at any given point in time mm-hmm. looking for parks, you know. And those are the guys that are willing to talk to a broker. Can you wow. how many buyers are out there that are wow. trying to buy deals that aren't working with brokers at all, right? So it's very, very, very competitive. Right. And, you know, a lot of it is, some of it, a lot of it deals with you with the accelerated depreciation, like this being the last year to really harvest all of it in one thing. And in the last three or four right. years, you know, being able to get significant tax advantages, I think has helped really light the fire under the non-mobile home guys that are now looking at the industry, especially the certified rich guy right. that needs depreciation and things like that, you know? So it's, it's really keeping the tilt sure. in the favor of the seller, even though interest rates are climbing and everybody's, you know, asking for price reductions. A seller with the, the beautiful park still has no distress and there's very little distress in our industry. So why would he sell it anything then? You know, so like it's a supply demand with, you know, as with anything else, but last five years have been really good to this industry. And I think it's really helped push us more into a investment caliber type of asset class. Whereas before it, it was, you know, mostly kind of poo-pooed by, you know, all the institutions other than the, the guys in the know at the time, you know. Sure. So I mean, what do you see, if any, are the challenges right now for mobile home park buyers? I mean, those are the people that you probably deal with the most. Financing, you know, value add stuff, getting a decent enough return on the purchase, especially while interest rates are climbing. The books and records are still, like I said, the better, but they're still a challenge, especially when you're going to a bank that, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. doesn't know the asset class that great, you know, so financing is, can be hard, you know, we're still getting good quotes though, in my opinion, you know, upper fours to, you know, on the higher end, maybe, you know, uh, 5.75 or something like that, but still, you know, like my park, when I bought it, it was at like six and a half, seven percent interest rate. You know, and I thought that was sure. a good deal at the time, you know, because and it was at the time. Know, years earlier, it was 10 percent, you know, like so like to me, it was like anything. I, I was always told anything below 10 percent is a good long term loan. Sure. But granted, these were old people at the time telling me this information, you know, because they all remember <laughs> the 80s, you know. Right. But, you know, we're now plus or minus five percent now. I mean, if you're looking at 30 year money at five percent interest, I would say that's a pretty good deal, especially if you can pay it off and refinance if it ever comes back down again. You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Are you still investing yourself or do you still own that park that you once did? No, I, I, I divested in 2015 when I decided to jump in, you know, full time brokering. So I sold my park on an owner finance note. And on three year note and three years later, it was paid off like clock. It worked out like, a, you know, fantastically for me. And I made a decision at the time to not, you know, rebuy into the industry and do that just so I don't compete with my clients. You know, I mean, I still tease with the idea of a roll right. up one day, you know, like when I'm finally able to retire and, you know, do something there. But at least in the meantime, I'm just here to help people, you know, buy and sell parks and, you know, help them create wealth and yeah. you know, try and get as many deals done each year as we can. But I do invest quite heavily in in a lot of other stuff. I mean, I I just bought an office building that you helped me do an accelerated depreciation cost segregation thing on, you know, that worked out wonderfully. We just, you know, six months later, but we just tenanted the building with a 15 year lease with a credit tenant. And, you know, that worked out pretty well. And, you know, I, I invest a lot in businesses. It's like where I spend most of my investment money. Interesting. 
What types of, if you mind sharing, like what, where do you find these types of business investments? Yeah. So, you know, oddly, a lot of them have come through my network of mobile home guys and, you know, Mm. with over the years of transacting with people and then they go into something new. I, I don't lose interest with these guys. So if we hit it off, we're probably staying friends. And some of these guys have done some pretty cool stuff. So I'm like, let me piggyback on what you're doing. So we're pretty heavily involved in the cannabis industry, the hemp industry, the mm-hmm. software, this rent butter software, that stuff that we have. And, you know, we dabbled in the coin, in the digital coin stuff, but that was too scary for me. I, I'm a low risk, low headache kind of guy. I really just, I can't handle those. It's just a, a gamble. Some of those things are the big gambles. But, you know, I, I put out a lot of money last year into investments, you know, about half of my income. And, you know, I try and do that most every year. And hopefully in five or 10 years, these things really start, you know, paying off. And some of them already have, and some of them continue. And right. You know, lately I've been more interested in buying cash flow type of stuff. So I've been, you know, looking at that. I'll be making another purchase this year, God willing, uh, on, a, on a cash flow and asset. Probably not, you know, okay. a land lease type of thing. Probably more like an apartment or an office building or something like that. But I stay very local also with my real estate investments. Gotcha. I like to see it every day. Right. You're in North Carolina, right? Yeah, I'm in Wilmington, North Carolina. You know, Wilmington, North Carolina. So on the coast. I still have my farm over in Asheville, you know, about 30 minutes north of Asheville. Oh, nice. That farm's still in play and doing its thing, although it's, you know, it's not like when we were active on it. But it's still producing produce? You still have something on there? Yeah, but I don't know if anybody's harvesting. But I, I got a farmhand that is a good buddy of mine that lives on the farm and he maintains things. But, you know, we have like 100 apple trees, a couple hundred blueberries. You know, we have all these mushroom logs. And, you know, he probably has a, you know, a little quarter acre garden going. But, you know, we used to have animals and all the everything that a farm would have, you know, a small family farm type of farm would have. Sure. Well, it's great nowadays, you know, to have something like that. You know, I know a lot of people moving into the more self-sufficient kind of mindset and figuring out how we can, how I can yeah. live and live off a farm going back to those things. That was the idea for me 15 years ago. And it was 2003 when I bought my farm, I think, you know, and I just wanted to get off grid and, and I did for way too long, <laughs> for way too long. <laughs> and, you know, ended up being, I thought I was poor when I moved there, but boy, by the time I was, you know, 2012 rolled around, I realized what poor really felt like, you know, it was, it was a very challenging time, constant disclosure, you know, uh, foreclosure notices and the city was fighting with me about my trailer park mm-hmm. and shut it down. All these maddening things that really just were just too much for me to handle. I said, I better give it, I better go get a real job again. <laughs> so, I mean, that sounds like it was a pretty challenging time. I know a lot of people struggled during that time. If you could share like one thing, one or two things that at that time that helped you just kind of to turn it around to get to where you're at now. I had to get real with myself, you know? So I, a little bit of backstory was, you know, I had a son that was born and, and he was born, you know, very sick. And when he was about two and a half years old, three years old, he finally started getting healthy again, but it was, you know, years in the hospital and it was a traumatic event for me, you know? And so while I was, while he was getting healthy, we were living in Miami and I, that's how I started brokering because I needed some day-to-day money stuff and I was renting apartments and things like that. But for me, the impetus was I wanted my son to have a, a healthy life, free, you know, quality air, quality water, all that kind of crap, you know. But by the time 2010 rolled around, the recession was in full tilt. You know, I I was already saying to myself, this might not be the right path because I can't make any money with farming and farming is topped out at X amount of income. And, you know, I, I'm working as hard as a man could work 80 hours a week farming and tending this trailer park of mine. There's got to be a better way. 
And I realized I was living for more for myself as much as I was trying to say it was about my family. I wanted to have this fairy tale type of experience in life where I was, you know, manly and chopping wood and building cabins and raising food and slaughtering animals and raising kids. And it sounds idyllic, you know, but the reality was, I think it was me trying to stay in my comfort zone and not willing to really explore what potential that I had inside and how far could I take it. And, you know, I'd always heard since I was a kid, you got all this potential, but I always used it as like a negative thing. Like this, all I felt like my parents meant that I wasn't living up to my potential. I'm a, I'm a failure, you know, but eventually around 30, 35 years old, I started cluing in and maturing that, you know, like, Hey, my potential is actually out there. And I'm, I am just sitting here taking the easy street, even though it was the hardest easy street you've ever taken, excuse my language, you know, but when I, you know, I realized, wait a second, I don't want to face foreclosure. I don't want to deal with this. Let's just, let's cut all the fat. And let's see what we can do. And let's take, you know, the real hard steps forward to see what we can do. Give yourself three years. And in three years, if you don't like what you're doing and you don't see a path forward, then you can always come back to the farm. And luckily by 2016 or so, I saw the path forward. And, you know, 2015, 2016, the money finally started coming in. That's good. And life started getting tremendously easier. They say money don't make you happy, but I can tell you just being poor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it was, you know, money solved 99.9% of the problems I had. You know, like it was, you know, for me, it was important. And now I look back on that <sighs> and I remember that all the time. It's like, is this really my path forward or am I just being selfish with my time and, you know, trying to please myself above all, even though obviously I was raising my kids and doing a damn good job with them and all that kind of stuff. But it was, I didn't have college fund for the kids. You know, right. I didn't have food security for the kids, even as a farmer winter every year, we had to go dumpster diving or go sure. get a food box or something like that. Cause meat runs out vegetables run out. And if you don't got the income, food was expensive. You know, like for us, the gas, the nearest grocery store was 30 miles away. Gas was four bucks a gallon, you know, like, I, you know, we were living on fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year. You know, That's, yeah, it's it was tight. <laughs> easy, very bro. tight budget. Yeah, hundred percent. Wow. You know, your decisions, and the older I get, you know, before I never had much thought about my decision making. It was just like, well, this is what I want to do, so I'm going to do it. You know, but you really see after three to five years that you are a product of your decisions, and you know, yes. the good ones, the bad ones, the all that stuff, and you know, knowing that then gives you the foresight. Well, I, if I don't want to, have, you know. If I want to have a better future, I got to start making better decisions now because in three to five years, I don't want to sit here and be saying the same to myself. That's right. Yeah. Those decisions are going to make the life. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, for better or worse, you know, like it's nice to be in charge of your own life and do whatever you want to do and, you know, all that stuff. But at the same time, I now really drill it into myself and my team and my kids. That's like, but how much can you offer right now? You know, how much can you do or are you just settling for what's good enough? Because getting fat and lazy is so easy to do, you know, especially when you finally got a couple achievements in your pocket and a couple of dollars in your pocket, things like that. It's easy to be like, good enough. This is better than before. I'm going to just maintain this. But, you know, are you shortening, you know, are you cheapening your effect on your children by doing that? Like, could you go further and give them more? You know, I mean, last year I was able to donate a lot of money to my temple mm -hmm. to help them build a new roof on this beautiful temple we have here in Wilmington. And that was like one of the proudest moments of my last, you know, 15, 20 years to be able to do that. You know, like that was awesome. Wow. And that then says, well, if I was able to do that once, now maybe I can do that, you know, again and again and again. And it starts showing you a new path and starts giving you new inspiration. And now my kids are able mm -hmm. to see that dad does these other things beyond just farming and trailer parks. He's now helping out his community and like that's inspiring to them. And, you know, it's, you start getting a bigger picture. I'm probably rambling, <laughs> but uh, 100%. You, know, you know, for me, it was, it was exciting. 
That's amazing. And it is really important. I think you're absolutely right. Kids pick up on the smallest things. And especially if they see you giving of your own time and of your own you know, money to help the community, I think that's probably the biggest impact you can have on children. So you know, kudos to you and turning that around and finding the path. And today, you know, what you have accomplished obviously speaks for itself. You know, if you ask anyone out there, you know, I'm looking for the best mobile home park broker, half the people are gonna say Glenn Esterson, you know, that's the guy to go to. His team is top notch. My name comes up a lot. And I like to hear that because it does come up a lot. I can't promise that I deliver every time, you know, but I try really hard. Yeah. And it just shows that, you know, that's years and years of hard work, you know, and execution to get to that point. Well, Glenn, I want to transition now. We call the final four. These are four questions I ask all my guests. First question to you is what's the worst job that you ever had? Oh, hands down. Easy enough. So one of my very first jobs, I was living in North Idaho. I was probably 17 years old or so. And I had to work for $4.10 an hour, manual labor at a forestry division, sorting baby trees out there, each like a foot long. And I'd be like, oh, this is a maple. Oh, this is an oak. Oh, this is a pine. And we'd have this in the freezing weather, even in the middle of December. And it was all day, every day, wow. <laughs> you sit there. And, you know, it was, I enjoyed it because it was my first job. But looking back on it, boy, that was a terrible job. I, compare almost everything from that first real job, you know, $4, 10 cents an hour, 80 bucks a week or whatever crazy crap number we were making, you know, post-tax. Yeah. You know? That's pretty wild. Wow. Okay. Well, that's definitely a new one for me. Haven't heard anyone sorting baby trees before in the winters of Idaho. The second question. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. I mean, and most manual labor is and can be, but you know, we obviously learn from our youth what not to do, what we're better at. Um, Second question for you is what is a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The name of it is, uh, it's called What It Takes. And it's from Stephen Schwartzman from Blackstone. It's his biography. I read it maybe Mm -hmm. a year ago or so. Blew my mind. Like, that's such a great story and such a great way that he went about his life and how he got from, you know, the son of a dress shop maker to where he is now, you know, running Blackstone and doing world affairs stuff. You know I mean? That's just so impressive and so inspiring. That's like a biography book, you know, but it was one that was very impactful on me. And, you know, I'm just going to put a second one in there real quick, if it's all right. Yeah, go for you it. Know, another, you know, really great, inspiring book was from Jim Collins called Good to Great. And Good to Great you know, it took me mm, you know, until yeah. my 40s before I read it, early 40s before I read it or something. But that was definitely a pivotal book for me. Like that definitely, you know, gave me, you know, a little bit of like, oh, if anybody can do it, I can do this, you know, so. Exactly. Definitely an awesome book. And we'll definitely put those both in the show notes for anyone who wants to check those out. Good to great. Important lessons there. And really gives you the push to see, yeah. you know, kind of reach your potential. Yeah. Third question. What's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? And this could be anything. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I got this secret fantasy in my head that one day I'll be making furniture, you know? <laughs> so one day, not that I've you know, ever made a, a single anything, you know, furniture wise, but that seems that's like cool. a very calming, peaceful, fun, you know, activity to do by yourself. That's a skill I would like to learn, but more realistically, the skills that I'm trying to work on now is learning more about the mergers and acquisition process and the company valuations and you know, then participating in it, in things when I can and reading as much about it as I can. So from a business skill set, you know, a business underwriting and M&A and from a personal, you know, personal side of life, mm-hmm. you know, like furniture making. I know it sounds kooky, but it sounds, you know, to me it sounds lovely. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. That's great. Well, I mean, you're obviously good with your hands if you right. ran a farm. So probably not right, not too far off from building some furniture. Yeah, well, we'll look forward to one day yeah. checking it out. <laughs> Fourth and final question. What does success mean oh, to you? Yeah. It's the ability to focus your time where and when and how, when you want without having a negative outcome, you know, with your friends, family, co-works, you know, investments and things like that. It's, mm. you know, the more success I have, the more I realize I got to keep staying in this zone and work just as hard. I, like I haven't, those guys who take their work weeks down to 10, 20 hours, I'm envious, but I don't know how they do it. And I don't know that, that I would be the guy that would ever be able to do that. I love working, man. You know, like it doesn't scare me a bit to spend every, you know, every bit of this portion of my life, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week working towards my business goals because I love to work, you know, but you know, I mean, it's success defines when you can just tell mm -hmm. people no and without it hurting your income and without it hurting your feelings and, you know, without jeopardizing your kid's future and without, you know, all that, you know, I mean, whether it's a hundred thousand dollars or $10 million right. or a hundred million dollars, I don't know what the number is. Cause I don't think I have a number in my head, what success looks like, but it's really a, a mental shift into what I can have to say yes to and what I can say no to, you know, where you're ramping up. I mean, you're saying yes to almost everything because, you know, you got to, if you want to get the shot, you know, to take it to the next level, the more that we mature in our careers yeah. and our investments, I think we start understanding what doesn't fit in our strike zone and what to say no to and what to refer out and, you know, things like that. Absolutely. Awesome. Love that. Well, Glenn, finally, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you if they want to? Yeah, very easy. So, we got, you know, you can Google me. It's, it should be easy enough to find me. Just disregard all the bad stuff. That's probably not really me. But it's someone else. Know, but the website is the mhpexpert.com. That's mobile home park, mhpexpert.com. You can get to us through that website. You can go to our team's website, which is estersonmhcteam.com. And, you know, there's similar products, mm -hmm. but different products. But you can see that kind of stuff. And of course, LinkedIn, right. I'm you know very active on LinkedIn and stuff like that. So you just you know search me there and you can easy enough time to find me. If you want to call us too, you know, we, we got a hotline awesome. 720MHP, the number four Y O U. So it's 720MHP4U. And you know, that you know, we'll go to either me or one of the guys on the team. And you know, that's awesome. It means reach out. We'd love to hear from you. That's a great phone number. We'll put all that in the show notes and really grateful for you to take the time today, Glenn, and spending it with us. Really amazing. So I appreciate that. And looking forward to speaking with you again soon. Absolutely. Always, my man. It's always great talking with you. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. And to our listeners, thank you guys again for joining once again all the way to the end. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.